Welcome to the Picture of Wealth, a podcast all about living more of your life now, yet being responsible for your future. Lifestyle experimenter, wealth scientist, and financial coach Dustin Service shares life hacks, wealth tips, and interviews successful entrepreneurs on how they're thriving in happiness, purpose, and prosperity. I would like to introduce you to Shannon Stone, a good friend for nearly 20 years and a world-class real estate professional located in the Okanagan Valley, specifically in Kelowna. If you actually look up uh, their website, you'll see they've won multiple awards, uh, You know, not only in the Okanagan and being a top real estate group, but they are winning awards from Emacs International. And that's that's part of the equation. But the other part of the equation in this episode, we dive into all sorts of uh, interesting things like we both had paper roots when we were younger and how we you know, instilled you know, certain traits and how her father taught her certain things that she still uses today in business. And we even get into you know, being a mother of two uh, children and how she's trying to help them make better decisions in the sort of new landscape that we live in. Now, we dive into if putting a pool in your house is a good thing or a bad thing. And she even shares her personal experience about how she came to the decision to or not to put a pool in her own house. So I had a lot of fun in this episode and I, I, can't, I can't wait to share it with you guys. So let's get started. Thanks a lot, Shannon, for sitting down today. I'm excited uh, to chat with you and hear sort of your origin story and get into the weeds of how you're actually living more of your life now. And, uh, you know, whether it's using real estate or, you know, you've done great at running a real estate office, which I would say is probably your wealth edge. And maybe you could correct this if you've made any crazy investments or bought tech stocks and they, (laughs) you know, shot off the charts and that's what's given you the success you have. But uh, yeah, I'm excited to go on a journey with you today and, and learn a little bit more about the business and learn how you are, again, getting more out of life now. And, uh, you know, one of the things I think about, you know, you guys have a big team and yeah. At some point, you know, I go back to when you were like 20 and think of like what you thought was success at 20. And then are you there now or have you surpassed it? Are you behind? Where are you at in that spectrum? I'd say I've surpassed it. You know, when you're 20, it's it's a totally different mindset than what you have now once you've got kids and you've settled down. And, you know, my only thing that I haven't done um, that I really wanted to do and I thought that I would have done more by now is travel. So, right. you know, but of course, life gets in the way of that to some degree. Um, and I'm not complaining or anything. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I'm thrilled. It's happy where I am. But yeah, I would say I'm surpassed that as far as success in family, success in business. You know, I'm so fortunate to work in a career that I absolutely love. I get to work with different people every single day. And I feel so lucky with that. I mean, I'm learning from different people every day. And that to me is, you know, that fills my bucket. So to me, that's success. No, that's uh, so then going still. So, you know, if you go to age 30 and you've been in real estate since when? I was... I was 26, I guess, when I got licensed, I think. So. Okay. So at, uh, and you've had fairly good success. You know, I know there was a couple grinder years at the start and then yep. <laughs> <laughs> at some point your, 
you realize that you need, you know, and again, you have a partner, Tamara, your sister. Um, but at some point you realized you maybe needed help or there was, you know, you needed leverage. Uh, like were, before you, before kids, mm-hmm. how many hours, you know, were you working and what did that sort of look like? Oh, when I first got into the business, all I knew, I mean, I grew up in a real estate family, so I was fortunate to have that. I knew, you know, I knew real estate. I knew the crazy schedule. So I kind of knew what I was getting myself into. Um, but, you know, it was even much more intense than I thought. And I knew the one thing that I had, I was young. So I was kind of had that against me a little bit. Um, getting into an industry at that point was, there wasn't as many young people as there are now. I mean, now I look around and I feel so old compared to <laughs> the realtors, but But back then, you know, when my 20s, I was probably one of the youngest realtors. So I had that going against me. Um, You know, I didn't have the experience. Um, You know, I had my degree, but what was that in a a field of real real estate? You know, nothing really. Um, So all I knew is I had to work hard. And that's what I had. And that's what I brought to the table. So I worked hard. I worked evenings, weekends all the time. I mean, I didn't have kids at the time. Um, luckily my husband was, you know, really supportive in that. And, you know, it kind of just worked and worked and worked, but you're right. You get to that point where it's kind of burnout. And all of a sudden you realize, Hey, wait a second, I can't do this all. And both my sister and I were working, you know, flat out and thought, okay, and I I can't do this all. I don't want to do this all. And I'm not the best person to do half of the job that I'm doing. You know, what do I really like to do? And that's kind of where we sat down and said, what do we really like to do and what skills do we bring to the table and what are we good at? Let's concentrate on those and then get somebody to help us with the things that we're, we're not really good at. And that's, you know, probably that was in two years in, I think um, we brought a realtor on to kind of work with us. We had an assistant, um, but brought another realtor and then we've just grown since then. So now there are 10 of us that are licensed um, with our group and, you know, everybody brings a different skill set. Um, our admin team are all very skilled in what they do. And I couldn't do half of the things they do. It's, mm-hmm. it's just not my, my skills that, that they have. So it's nice that we can all work together and do what we kind of do best. And I think that's what makes our group, you know, successful. Yeah. And gives you sort of that free time. What I, what I wrote down in my note was at, you know, at that point where you decided to bring on a realtor, you had a certain level of revenue. Was it obvious that you you could afford to share, or was it a reasonably were you like, oh, like I don't want to give up the money? That's that was hard. I probably would say, you know, almost every time. Not now, I guess when we bring on a new agent, but that was the struggle when we were bringing on an agent back then. And you know, the first couple agents that we brought on is okay. The pie is this big. Can I share half that pie? Mm-hmm. And it's also a bit of letting go. It's a little bit of your ego kind of to letting go and saying, okay, I'm going to get this person to help with some of this and, and being okay with that. And that was kind of more my struggle, I would say, is, is not owning it all and controlling it all. So I, I had to I wrote that let go. Con- control and uh, how, yeah. how, how you overcame that, uh, you know, that control and the first mistake that that person that you had hired made. and you know, just sort of, I think every entrepreneur goes through this, you know, or if you're growing this exact thing we're talking about where it's, you know, I don't want, it's cheaper for me to just do this myself than train somebody and it's going to take longer. And what if they screw up and what if they do this? And 
but this leads to a more balanced life. This is mm-hmm. a means to, you know, something. So I'm, I'm quite curious about it of how you, you know, was it just time or how did you just keep going after hiring that person and the first mistake happened? You know, I think we all make mistakes and I certainly made a ton of mistakes, certainly when I was new too. So it's just being compassionate for those and knowing that they did. And I think too, you kind of get on this, you get to help someone. And I think that's sort of what gives gives you your drive, or it certainly did for me. So yeah, there was mistakes, certainly. And, you know, <laughs> I could get into details of some of those mistakes. And <laughs> we have quite a few stories, but I won't go there. Um, but, but you know what, it's all a learning experience. And, you know, it's, so we all work together to kind of learn through that. But it, it was hard to, you know, you're giving somebody or, or having somebody help with a client of yours, and suddenly something goes wrong. And all of a sudden you think, oh, should I have done that? Like I should have just kept it myself. And you have to look at the big picture. And that's what we did is sat back and said, okay. And at first we brought an agent on. I never looked at it as though this is forever. We'd bring right. an agent on and we're like, we're going to try this for six months. So I would break that down because that helped me mentally get over that and go, okay, we're going to try this for six months. And yes, we're going to be sharing that pie potentially. And that's okay. Yeah. And then we'll reevaluate it in six months and see how it's going. And every time we reevaluate it after six months, it's like that was the best thing we've ever done. Yeah, that's sort of so, going going to sort of what's the worst case? The worst case is we hire this person, we split some commission, and it's lost money, and we have to switch gears, and they're not no longer here. And, and yeah. everyone's still healthy at the end of that. Then, you know, one thing I I resonated with me, and I I think we're quite similar in being people pers- people 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 and. When you extend out your your responsibilities to somebody else to go to that relationship to deal with your client, and if maybe something isn't done like you would have done it, or it was done maybe wrong, or there was a mistake, and we're all human, but it's almost like you think that you fear that client is going to then basically degrade your, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what the right term is, but like your credibility and you know really undermine you know, your relationship mm-hmm. where, you know, again, I think it's in the delivery of, you know, how you speak to the clients like, Hey, if we want to get stuff done faster, you know, then this person is going to take charge and, you know, I'm going to monitor, but do you, do you feel that way at all? Or do you fear, you know, the relationship being, you know, affected at all? Yeah, I think so. And it's all how it's communicated. You know, I think when somebody, I mean, it's, we're fortunate now because I think we've branded ourselves that people anticipate, okay, they're working with a group. So I think that's something. But back when we started, you know, it was Tamara and I, and people would go, well, why do I not have you? I'm getting some guy, like completely different. And it's just managing their expectations and communicating it right from the beginning. And we got better at that. We weren't good at it at first, um, but we got better at that. And I think too, when those agents, when there would be concerns or, or, you know, they made a mistake or something, part of that's on us because did we not train them properly? You know, we got to take ownership for some of that too. Yeah. And so, you know, we kind of worked through all of those situations, but by no means did I just say, okay, that's a hundred percent on you because, you know, we brought you on and part of our job is to also train you. Yeah. Did you have uh, mentors in your life? Yeah. It's, you know, we had a business coach for a while. So, and he was great. So he works for all the top uh, real estate teams or many of the top real estate teams in North America. 
So we had him for about five years. We haven't been with him for probably the last two or three years. Just because I think, you know, he worked with someone for a few years, you know, quite a few yep. years and you, it's, you know, nothing. He was great. Um, apart from that, I would actually say probably our parents, like they started yeah. in the business in, in the seventies, often, you know, we'll, we'll come across a situation and run it past our dad. And, uh, he still thinks that he owns stone sisters. So he's, uh, <laughs> he's like, well, my company, I'm like, dad, you never had stone sisters. It was, <laughs> you were yeah. an independent realtor, but, <laughs> um, but you know, he has a wealth of knowledge. He's, he's got a great business mind. So, you know, he's always level and fair. Um, and then we brought on, you know, we talked about that. We brought on my husband. So he's been with us for a year and a half and he's, you know, guides us. So as far as a mentorship, he sort of guides us through our decisions. Right. And, uh, and that really helps because we're, we're working in the business on the business. You know, there's, there's a lot of components to kind of balance. Yeah. So I, I got, I got a note here, but we're going to come back. I, family business and the dynamics of a family business, uh, your sister and your husband. Uh, oh, there's just so many, so many places I could go, but <laughs> I, I want to go back uh, to, you know, just because you mentioned your dad and he's taught you a lot to like, do you have any examples maybe of like when you were younger, when you knew you were a businesswoman? Oh, like I'm I thinking my... sub twenties, like when you're like, oh yeah, yeah, young. I got my first job when I was 11. So I always wanted to work always. Like it was just ingrained in me for whatever reason that I wanted to work. You know, all my friends at 11, of course, weren't working. Um, and I had a paper route because that's all I could get. And I would get the papers. It was right beside my elementary school. So I'd get off from school and the papers would be dropped there and I'd have to go through this mobile home park where it was and drop the papers off. And so I then hired a kid who would do the paper route for me and I'd split my wage so I wouldn't have to do it, but I'd pay him part of it. And I thought, okay, I'm 11. It's pretty good. And I didn't think about it. Of course, I look back at it now and think, well, that's, you know, but at the time I was just thinking, well, I didn't want to have to walk it. Here's this kid. He'll do it and I'll share my money with him. Right. So started at, you know, really young age. I, uh, just for- on that topic, was it, cause I had a paper or two at, and this isn't a one up, but at nine and it was only 26 yeah. papers, but did you have the fanny pack and have to collect? Was it the courier or the capital news that you just put by the door? No, it was the Daily Courier. Yeah, had to collect. I had my punch <laughs> card. We had to punch yeah, things. Yeah. I had my like pack that you'd wear over top of you, like that case, that canvas case you'd yeah, walk yeah, around yeah, to. Yeah, oh, the, yeah, the high-vis stripe <laughs> on it. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Maybe we were part of the same like hiring crew because maybe you're maybe. a couple years older. So <laughs> that's awesome. Well, that would have been around the same time. But yeah, so, okay. So keep going on the papers. You hire this kid. He's doing and- the papers. Yeah, he's doing the papers and, and, you know, so that that was probably the first time where it's more entrepreneur. And, you know, I remember I went and got a job at Taco Time and I wasn't allowed to work yet. I was too young to work. And so, but they knew my dad and I was really, I really wanted to work there. I'm not sure why I must have loved tacos. (laughs) Anyway. And I could ride my bike there so I could get there in the summertime on my own or whatever. Anyway. Is this the Taco Time on Lakeshore by like... Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. it's it's A and W now, but it used to yeah, be. Yeah. So it used to be talking time. I used to ride my bike there and, and work. And so the guy <laughs> hired me, but I could only stay in the back because I wasn't technically like I, I wasn't old enough, I guess. So right. I cooked the meat. I did the dishes. So you know, I'm not entrepreneur, but I think that instilled that hard work. And my dad was always encouraging, you know, that hard work. And 
you know, I'll never forget. And, you know, and, and I guess he encouraged confidence and doing things on your own and taking the initiative. And, and, you know, he trusted us, I guess, at a young age to do that sort of thing on our own. So I think that gave us confidence to then go, well, I can do this. Like I can do anything. Yeah. And that's really how we were raised that there was no bar. It was, you want to be something or won't go somewhere. You can do it. And, you know, I was in, I, I was in a car accident when I was 16. I'd just gotten my license and we were in the school parking lot and I, I was turning one way and a car was going the other way. And I T-boned this car and everybody in this, I mean, in high school and of course, new license and everything else. And everybody comes racing over. It's this big production and this big oh. thing. I couldn't, I couldn't get out of my car because the, the way the car hit me or I hit it or whatever, I had to climb out the window and it was just this big thing. And everyone around the school, of course, is like, well, Shannon smoked that car and all of this stuff. And being kind of a little bit timid, I got out and instantly apologized to the guy and said, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, it totally must have been my fault. And then I get home and my dad said, okay. So tell me what happened. And I explained what happened. And he said, and you then said instantly, it's your fault. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, it must have been people were saying that. And he says, you never, ever say instantly, it's your fault. Yeah. I said, well, okay. And he said, you need to go and fight this. He's like, to me, it doesn't seem like it's, it's a given that it's yours, that your fault. He's like, you explained it to me. He's like, go to ICBC, make an appointment, you fight it. I'm like, okay, well, you can come with me, right? He's like, no, this is yours. You do it on your own. So he told me to go to the school, measure where I was, do all of this thing. So I drew a diagram. I measured where my car was, where my car moved to, to prove that he was speeding. Like this whole thing went to ICBC and I ended up not being responsible for it. Wow. But it was such a good lesson as, you know, he taught me to one, stand up for what you think is right and believe in that and follow through with that. You know, don't be, you know, given into the peer pressure what, what those around you were thinking and be confident you know, at 16 going and doing something like that. So those sort of things, my dad was a huge mentor growing up and, and teaching us that. And then, so from 16, so at what age would be, I guess, university? So at next age out of high school, what job was it? Oh, I really wanted to, I thought that I was going to be, I, I don't know. I thought I was going to work in some job in tourism and be really involved in Kelowna tourism. I, I love Kelowna. I have my whole life. And so I really wanted to, in high school, be work for tourism Kelowna. That was just my thing. So I went and took, you had to take these extra courses to go and work for a chamber of commerce. So I took these extra courses during grade 12. And then I got a job in the summer as being a tourist. I don't know what the info things like the info offices or whatever. And I would guide tourists and I would do that kind of stuff. So, you know, I, I had, spoken a little bit. I was a German exchange student when I was 15. I went to Germany and lived there for a few months. So I spoke a little bit of German. So that kind of helped me get the job. And so that was my, my next job. And uh, yeah, I don't know. What did I do after that? I ran, I mean, when I was 16, I uh, ran a, a restaurant. I was the manager for a restaurant. And so, yeah, I managed a hotel and then I went and went to school. So I took a break from work for a bit and went and got my degree. Well, good for you. So in the and having children now, so in this day and age, you know, I, I remember as a child being like 12 and hitchhiking from Vernon to Silver Star myself, <laughs> and then I'd hitchhike down and my parents would pick me up at Butcher Boys. And that was like normal. Uh, nowadays, uh, 
do you think like uh, and being a mom and kind of having kids that you're like trying to instill new kind of things how how do you you know have you got any examples of how you're trying to pass on what your dad gave you to your kids or do you find it more like different now society is different or are you still kind of hard hard and fast society is different and i think you know it's i mean we all talk about this helicopter parenting right and i think we all get get pushed into that a little bit but you know like for me you know what used to be like i took the bus when i was i don't know i think i was in grade four grade three i think i took the bus home so i would take the city bus you know we didn't live near our school and i'd take the city bus home or what have you now i can't imagine my my child who's in grade three knowing how to walk to the bus get on a city bus, get off at the right spot and then walk, you know, four blocks home on a busy road. Like to me, I'm like, I can't even imagine. So that's part of our society, I guess. And so, no, my kids don't do the same things that I did. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, you know, we try little, little bits, you know, I give them, you know, they roam around the neighborhood. They do, you know, that kind of stuff. But as far as instilling them in the same way that my dad did is different. I mean, we, my kids play a lot of sports, you know, you know that we've talked lots about that. Um, the big hockey players. And I think through that, we've taught them the same work ethic, the hard work, you know, our kids are getting up early in the mornings and going to practice before hockey. And, and we say to our kids all the time, like, you don't have to be the best out there on the rink because you can't control that. You can't control who's going to be better than you or, or what have you. And you're a team. So you want to work together, but you have to give your best out there. And I think that's the whole thing is every time our kids are on the ice, we expect them to give their best. You can't be out there and just not trying. You can't be out there at school and not trying. You have to give your best in everything you do. And, and that is something that my dad had taught me, give your best. And so we try to teach that with our kids, but probably not with the same freedom. I mean, I, I had a lot of freedom as a kid. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, and uh, and your kids are a couple of years older than mine, but I, I do find that whole topic, like it's, something happened between our parents and us mm-hmm. that has skewed trust and has skewed, you know, and, and I, you know, one might theorize or I would that it's, it could be social media. It could, you know, we used to snowmobile and quad, you know, and do jumps with no helmet. Then, you know, it's like, Oh, you got to wear yeah. a helmet. So that there's reasons for that. But then somewhere between that ultra safe approach to life and you know, this, I'm leading this into like how people run their finances, but like that ultra safe, we know so much now we can figure it out on our phone. We're constantly bombarded with, you know, fear kind of things. And, you know, obviously we're in COVID times, so it's heightened even more now. But when you think about like, you know, all the bad things that could happen to your kid in grade three, taking the city bus, the probability could be relatively low, you know, of something happening, but yet we fabricate that. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's, uh, again, I don't know where I was kind of going with that, but I, I just, I feel the same thing as, you know, on our property, it's chainsaws and ax wood cutting and the kids are like, well, I want to try. And I'm like, Ooh, no, like, you know, they have an ax. It's like this big as like a hatchet. You know, the reality if they're just <laughs> yeah. like, is fine. But, but then you kind of go, oh, no, you might cut yourself. So 
I know that leads that that lead that's everywhere in our lives now. So I don't know how we shed that, but it's I think I, it's something to be aware of. Like, do you yeah, think so? It's I think I mean it's so tough because you want to give your kids the freedom. And you want them to learn to be independent. And I think, unfortunately, the way society is to some degree right now, our kids aren't learning to be independent. I mean, we can, you know, so many kids have phones now at, at a young, like you can always, you can track where your kids are. You can track where anybody is. You know exactly what's going on. And that, that I think that belief, like, I think that's something that we were raised with is, you know, my parents believed that we could do it. They, mm-hmm. they believed that I could take that city bus home and I'd be okay because they trusted that I'd make smart decisions. And yeah. part of me wonders, you know, not letting my kids take a city bus. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I just <laughs> I couldn't go there, but you know, is it because I feel like something's going to be wrong or something happened or is it because I worry that they're not going to make smart decisions? Like, and what message is that giving my kids? How do I instill that I trust them? And I think, you know, you guys are great kids and you will make smart decisions and you can make smart decisions on your own and be confident. And how do we, that's the question I think is how do we get our kids there? And I think it's baby steps. Like it's, letting them ski down the run on their own and do a couple runs on yeah. their own. It's starting small and doing those things where it seems ridiculous really from where we were as kids, but you know, it's handling situations on their own. It's, you know, something happens at school. It's not going and dealing to the teacher with it and taking control of it. It's letting them control it and go, well, yeah. you got to work through it. You know, it's those little things. We just have to do it in different ways, I guess. It's, it's giving them that confidence and then also building up the layers of trust for you or for mm-hmm. us as parents. Uh, and, and yeah, it's just, you know, I think, it, and are you more allowing of the kids to do stuff or is Brett your husband? I would say me. Yeah. Brett's, Brett's pretty cautious. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say like for me, I'm like, Oh, the kids can go do that. Yeah. They're fine. Like they're good. You know? And Brett's like, well, Shannon, no, we, we, we got to make sure that they get there or, yeah. you know, so I think I'm a little bit more, free-spirited in that way and it's not Um, because you haven't thought about it you have thought about the you know all the decision points it's it's just your nature it's my nature I want to you know and and it's not to say that Brett doesn't think that they're going to make good decisions or trust them or or anything like that he's just he's more cautious than I am in that yeah so in uh only because I know a little bit of backstory you didn't have a pool in your house no, <laughs> you you hummed and hawed for years and years about the pool or upgrading the house, you know. So here here is a pivotal sort of moment of of trust, and you know, is it the right decision? Is you know, should we do this? Why shouldn't we? You know, you you've done well in real estate, and you know, people if they want to look at the podcast notes and look at all the awards that you've won, they can probably figure out that you do well. So you could probably afford it. So, but there still was resistance to taking this leap of faith. And I think lots of people, I just, you know, met clients this week who want to buy an RV, a legit, you know, you know, not a crazy hundreds of thousands, but it's going to be over a hundred thousand and they've got enough money, but they literally are holding themselves back. And I've told them based on your plan, this is a reality and it's still safe, but yet they still there's still reservation there. So back us up to pre-pool and then, you know, give us, you know, I think, you know, buying a pool or putting a pool in is living more your life now. Mm -hmm. And again, 
walk us through how you justified it. And I'll just leave it there. You just give us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny because you're right. I mean, we moved into our house. We've been here six years. And when we first moved in, that was the plan. It was like, this is perfect. Okay, we'll put a pool in. But truly, I don't think I ever believed we would do it. Like, <laughs> I'm going to be totally honest. You know, and that was the plan. And Brett's like, this is awesome. Yeah, it'll be perfect for a pool. I didn't grow up with a pool. I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't know if I'll actually do it. And, you know, didn't really believe that we would spend that money. I mean, that's, I don't know, that's a lot of money, right? And same with your clients buying an RV. Like that's, I don't know, that it's, it's cash out. So um, anyway, so I was hesitant on it. It was probably me that was, you know, putting the brakes on all of that to some degree. And finally, we just jumped through and, and, you know, decided to go for it. And I think it's really to know that our, and our kids make a big, you know, they make up a big component of a lot of our decisions. And I think that's what sort of was the deciding factor is we want to enjoy our kids. Now we want to live with them. Now we also want to be that place where our kids have friends over. We want to be where we're inviting and there's stuff here for them to do. And, you know, get off screens and all of that kind of stuff. And that was a big component of it is looking at, okay, what are the, you know, what's the pros and cons? And the only con was the cost of it. And yeah, yeah, we, you know, we could, we could handle that. And so when we looked at our pros and cons, we said, oh yeah, there's, there's no question. And we haven't looked back. I mean, it was the best thing we've ever done. So your clients looking at doing the RV, go for it because life is short, you know, and as you say, and you believe a hundred percent is you got to enjoy and live now. If it's looking at taking that trip or, or doing, you know, those things go for it. And even if it stretches a little bit, but you have the years to make up for that, you know, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. What we all we know is what's going to happen today and let's enjoy it as much as we can. Totally. So the, the responsibility side was like, and again, I'm kind of going to tangent on the pool for a sec, but the, no, no, you could have, your options were do nothing. Your options yeah. were put in the pool. Uh, and then your options were get a, a, not a different house with a pool. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you were kind of processing this decision, uh, you know, h- how did you, did you kind of figure out what your house might be worth with a pool and then compare that or? Yeah, we looked at it. So, cause I, I think when, I mean, of course, being in real estate, that's what I'd look at and do. <laughs> so, you know, I looked at what our house would be worth with a pool and I said, would I buy this house for that amount? Because technically that's what you're doing. If you're deciding to put a pool in, you could sell it for X amount. Essentially, you got to be able to answer that question. Are you going to, would you buy it for that? Is that, is that good value? Yeah. Or are you better to sell it and buy something else? And we looked at it and said, yeah, we would buy it for that. And that was the financial side of it was, it was worth it. It, we would pay that for, for what our house would offer us with that. Yeah. So that's again, being responsible, uh, for sort of the, the future and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, okay. and it's honest, it, we, and we looked at moving, you know, many times and I have to say that the pivotal moment for me, and I'll always remember it because we were back and forth and back and forth. Okay. We put the pool in or able to move for a house or a pool. And we, you know, but if we moved, we wouldn't be on the same street. We wouldn't have, you know, it would be different, different right. for our kids and, and all of that. And, uh, and you know, there's some things at the house we would have wanted to change or what have you too. And I drove in one day, I was at work, had a super busy day and I drove into the driveway and I couldn't park because there was all these kids' bikes all over, scoured all over our driveway. So I had to park on the road and I got into my car and I said, that's it, we're staying. Like to have yeah. all these kids in the neighborhood, just bikes everywhere. And just, I didn't have that growing up because we lived further away from school. And to me, 
that is so cool that, you know, it'd be a place where kids will come and, and it's easy and makes our life easy. So that was the yeah. moment. Yeah. So that actually is, uh, there's a, fi- there's a financial vein there that it's like, if you don't have to be driving kids, you know, you probably save some money there. Totally. You know, your, uh, your lifestyle is better because you and Brett can have, you know, a glass of wine and uh, have some, you know, the kids are occupied mm-hmm. and you're not, you know, having to go drive and pick them up. So that's, that's, you know, when I think of spouses and a lot of the coaching we do with spouses about decisions, when you're trying to quantify making a financial decision, the cost of it, people might assume is like, it's gone. Like we're going to buy an RV for a hundred thousand. It's like, well, just, we just gone a hundred thousand, but really what's gone is the difference between what you sell it for. Totally. So, you know, I think that's a key, you know, on our property, it's, it's the debate right now is bobcats and excavators and really Buying those are necessities to do certain landscaping and certain earthwork to make the, the, the land more valuable. But at the same time, it isn't like it's the dollars are gone because you're going to sell it for a, a little, say it's a bit less. That really is the cost per use. So in lifestyle mm-hmm. things, you know, you mentioned travel, which, you know, one could maybe debate uh, travel, but, you know, I'll, I'll park that for a sec. On your guys' stuff, you know, pool or upgrading, you know, whatever upgrading life means, you know, will you see like big white condos, mm-hmm. you know, rec property, campsite, you know, the, the little lot for, you know, 80 grand, you know, everything all the way up to the big condos at big white, or, you know, not so much lakefront, but I'm, I'm thinking, you know, people can upgrade their life for relatively inexpensive. And it really isn't, it really isn't a lost cost. It's, you know, like, in real estate, what do you think are the best kind of lifestyle upgrade? You know, this could give me a little sales pitch opportunity, but like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, you know, if when I think of like in the real estate spectrum and say under 500,000, what are kind of the, the lifestyle upgrade properties that people are doing? So recreation for sure. Um, and the, I mean, the market's gone a little bit crazy. So some of those vacation style properties that are in town, those prices have gone up big white for sure. You can get something under 500 and something decent under 500 that we're seeing lots. I mean, that market up there has tripled it's and, and not right. necessarily in price, just in activity. Like it's, you know, I think with COVID it changed everybody's staying closer to home. Everybody's realizing that maybe they don't want to take on a plane and, and go that far distance. And that money's just gone, as you said. And right. maybe instead you buy something like a condo at Big White or you buy a recreation property. I mean, the cove over in, in um, on the west side, Barona Beach, uh, Playa del Sol. Um, you know, we're seeing lots of people buy those types of properties. And, and then you, you, know, you can rent it out and it can be a great revenue stream. And then you can use it yourself. So we're so seeing our- a lot of that. Would you say the numbers are still at a point where if someone bought that, took on more debt, they would still be responsible? So we've achieved, you know, you buy a place, you know, uh, a big white for, I, I guess it might depend on how much they put down, but let's just, uh, you know, generalize for a sec. That's like, you really want to place a big white, your kids are, you know, six and eight, you know, prime ski time, you know, so yeah, we're going to get a big white place. So you've upgraded your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. but is it still responsible? 
the you numbers know, make it responsible. the numbers if you're going if you're doing it just as an investment if you're buying a place and you're like this is going to be a great investment no it's probably not the best investment financial wise right but I mean, at the same time, as you said, it's upgrading your life. So does that make sense? It probably does. Like mm-hmm. the, the tricky part with big white is the strata fees are high there. So if you're paying, you know, X, you know, 500,000 or 450 for a property, and then you've got strata fees that are, you know, 600 or something a month, and you're only renting it six months of the year, technically, it, that's where the numbers start to, to drop off. Now, as they get you know, year round and they do more in the summertime up there, that's increasing your rentability throughout the rest of the year. And again, that market is going up. So can you turn around and sell that for more, make a profit on the end of it when you go to sell it? And meanwhile, you've paid a mortgage down or what have you. And again, as you said, it's that, it's that creating that lifestyle for your family. And, and I think that's well worth it because, you know, our kids are only young for so long. So if you can do any of those things to, to spend more time with them and quality time, you know, yeah, when they're 20, they're not going to want to be spending as much time with us. So yeah, anything we can do to create and, and hold that. Some of the other properties, like, you know, some of the other ones that are local in town, we're seeing lots of people coming from out of town and buying those, you know, Vancouver and that sort of market. Um, because those do make sense. Strategies aren't as high. The cost, you know, for the unit is, is low and they rent, you know, all year round. Yeah. So there's still a bit of love and it could be the same as what we just talked about. You, even if you bought something for, 450 and it never went up in price you rented it for a portion of the season you picked up some money to cover strata and mortgage and mortgage rates are so low mm-hmm. yeah i don't know that's uh i do see more activity uh with clients and mm-hmm. and there's no guarantee so again if if you get if you got the money um i'm gonna switch I think gears yeah switching gears to back to because i i made a note and uh i know that you are again so to run optimal at the pace that you run yeah uh, fitness mental health and you know overall health is super important mm-hmm. you've had a trainer for a while and do you mm-hmm. you're still training with her yeah, yeah. okay uh, pa- paint us a picture of how like when you've got so many emails and, you know, we're joking about all the notifications coming on your phone and, you know, in this, just in this 20 minute, five minutes we've been together, it's like, you have a lot of pressure, I, I assume, or you have a lot of like people that want stuff or, you know, and in a hot market when you're busy and you're a business owner, you get, it's exciting to, mm-hmm. to do deals and to, to make, you know, make money for yourself as well. So how do you make that work out? a priority and you've done it for so long. I just, I do it early. Like my, my gym workout, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I just, it's part of my routine. I, you know, my trainer's caption is move daily and I've jumped on board with that completely and just make sure I move daily. So, um, you know, and of course I'm addicted. We have, most of us have the Apple watches <laughs> where it tracks our steps and tracks all that. And I'm such a person that buys into all of that. So I have to complete my rings every day. So that's, <laughs> that's my motivation too. That little bit of accountability and like competition with myself. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel better mentally. You know, I'm more focused. I can do more during the day. You know, if there's a situation that comes apart at work, I I'm, I'm, have more patience if I work out. It's just my personality. I, I, I have to do that. So yeah, I mean, I work out. I get up early. Normally our kids now are going to hockey. One of them is in the morning. So 
I mean, I've always been an early riser. I wake up at 5.30 or so and send one of them off to hockey often. And then I work out. So I'm done my workout and ready to go at 7. By 7. So that's the morning routine. 5.30 up. Workout like right away. The the trainer comes to your house. Uh, Right now because of COVID, doing it in Zoom. But um, yeah. yeah, and I do it with a couple other girlfriends. So we all connect on Zoom, but we're all in our home gyms. Right. And yeah, we're done by seven o'clock. And then you're getting ready and then you're going back to pick up the kids from, from or the kid, one kid from hockey or Brett? Yep, that. Brett's normally, because Brett's coaching. So Brett's normally, the kids come, you know, backward that will drop that one off right at school often. But we have right. one home normally and it's making lunches, doing all of that, making sure I've got my morning with them, eating breakfast and all of that, and then dropping them off at school. Normally I start my first appointment, you know, nine, nine thirty. So drop them off and then go go to an appointment and you know, every day is, is different for sure. So I can't say I have a scheduled day of walking off time to do certain things. Cause that's just not the nature of, of our industry, but I do make sure, you know, I'm fortunate. I'm in a career that I can be there for sport games or I can be there if, if you know, when the school calls for some reason or, or something, I mean, when we were allowed to watch hockey games, you know, I could go and I could watch them and yeah, you know, I can juggle my schedule to do that. So that's what I do. I'm always home for dinner. That's just my rule. We family dinner is important. So I'll just make my schedule later. So I'll come home for dinner, make dinner, spend that time, put the kids to bed and go back out if I need to. Right. And and how, like, how has the, has that, you know, for Brett and he's, you know, you guys have been together a long time. Is that something that, you know, is a constant work in progress or it's, it's just, everyone knows kind of the, the program and it's it just, that's just what it is. Yeah. Everybody just knows the program. It's, it runs now. Well, like it's, you know, and yeah. I'm, you know, I'll often, once the kids are in bed, I'll often be back in the office doing computer work and finishing up on paperwork of stuff or what have you. But um, yeah, we all just know kind of the schedule and it works. It works really well. Yeah. Um. I'm going to segue a bit to why Remax for so long. That's a good question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, we were at a smaller company before we joined Remax when I was first first licensed, and then now we've been at Remax for 15 years. I think they're to me they're the best brand. They're the most recognizable. They have great support, but I think it's important to be with. Um, a brand that resonates with you and Remax does because to me they're you know they're what's they're saying they're above the crowd and they just hold that you know good exposure I think when you see that Remax name you know okay that's a realtor so it doesn't need any other explanation so from a marketing point of view I think it's a good um, fit for us Mm -hmm. and uh, like so you've been there for a long time I think one of you know in in life, you know, to get further financially ahead, you know, in real basic terms, one can either lower their expenses or increase their income. Mm-hmm. Now, what has been sort of a couple or one major, what was, what do you remember as like a major thing you either did, read, learned that took your income, like from what you thought was like, okay or decent to like really decent and where you're, you know, the kind of the stresses of like, are we going to be okay, you know, down the road kind of dissipate. So you got more bandwidth to focus on the kids. And cause that, I think that's a huge part to like, you know, we can all reduce our expenses if you're you know going to get really nitpicky mm-hmm. about that, but 
if you if you're kind of at you know an upper level, but when you really, you know, I always talk to clients to say at 120,000 and up, the doors start to kind of open a little bit more freely. Uh, you know, you're not worried about a cell phone bill, or you're not worried about you know petty cash where it's I need to use a 20 to get a haircut. And again, I'm, I'm going way back, but I'm I think it's important of like, you know, trying to help people get life hacks or little kind of cues to like make more income. And in your case, is there anything that stands out that like you're like, oh yeah, well I remember when X or I read this and it made me think different, and you know my income went up. I think uh, truly, and it was it was. It's reaching your goal, setting goals, I think is a big one. And it was probably a pivotal moment was when we hired our coach that we'd had before and, you know, our first meeting with him and he said, okay, you know, what's your goal? And we said, well, you know, we made X amount last year and that was good. It was a good year. That's great. So yeah, if we can do the same this year, we'd be happy. And he said, well, why don't you make that higher? We said, oh, it was good. We're, we're good with that. And he said, no, no, push higher. Like, what's your goal? Like, what do you want to do? Can't You can make it more. And we're like, oh. And he's like, it, you know, in a perfect world, what would it be? And we're like, well, um, I don't know, like X amount. And he's like, okay, well, that's your goal. Let's get there. And it was having that person that kind of pushed us. So I think that's, I think the reality is make your goal, make it high and push yourself to do that. Don't get comfortable. Because I think for a while there, we were comfortable and, you know, we thought, okay, this is, this is pretty good. We run a pretty good business. We were doing well. And it was pushing it to that next level and realizing we could to get there. We had to hire more, um, you know, agents and be okay with that. And it was kind of getting out of our own way to get there. So it was letting go more and, you know, trusting those that we brought on and training them so that we could trust them or, or what have you. You know, there's more behind the scenes that go with that, but really getting out of our own way to reach those goals. If that kind of makes sense. Totally. And I, and I'm, I'm happy you went here cause I can't wait to put my boxing gloves on and uh, be, beat that up a bit. So, uh, okay. So if you, if you, again, what I talked about and don't get nervous, but I, oh. if, if I have my gloves on, okay. So yeah, I'm ready. Okay, good. I'll, I'll, I'll at least put my hands up. So, if you project that out, like if you see a career for the next 10 years in real estate and you kept upping the goals, is your life actually getting better? Yes, because okay. it's, it's funny. That was one of the reasons when, you know, we, we made that change and that leap. And one of the reasons we were resistant is we said, we don't want to work more. Like we're happy where we're working and I don't want to work. You know, Matt, we kind of had this balance of, you know, my sister and I alternate weekends. So I get every other weekend off. I get evenings off because we alternate that. And I take Fridays off. Um, yeah. I say that kind of, you know, not, not everybody <laughs> well, knows. You get a lot knows. of stuff done during the week. You, I do. And it's, you know, it's so anyway, so I take Fridays off and we have a good life and we didn't want to change that. And we didn't change that. So it was, you know, making sure that no, we brought on the resources that we needed so that our life didn't change. And that was a big component for us. And I'd have to say, now looking back, and that was years ago, our life is probably better than it was before we made that decision to up our goal. Yeah. And and if you took away the revenue goal increase, mm -hmm. what would be like your next two indicators of success? More time with family. 
Yeah, I would say so that's that, actually probably number one indicator of success is having more time. I mean, we. Yeah. I feel pretty fortunate because I feel like I actually get fairly good time. Yeah. Um, but having more time and and you know taking trips with them and just enjoying family and and life. Taking you know as I said, taking more trips is probably a component of success too. Yeah, the the term that that I see a lot of uh, is time affluence. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you think back to, you know, your upbringing and, and your dad and, you know, his friends and their kind of group and what you thought was success then and status and cars and bigger houses, which, you know, I think we're still kind of in that kind of society. But outside of that, like who, who, like, I don't know if I say, who do you look up to, like on the time affluence or the time status side? Or what, you know, kind of social status cues impress you about, you know, someone that you either look up to or, you mm. know, it doesn't have to be a, you know, another, you know, real estate. It could be any business person or, or any person for that matter, but like new school status. So what sort of, I look up to and admire in someone Is that, well, just, just like when, you know, and again, I should have prefaced it by saying, if you take the revenue goals out of, out of the equation yeah. and you say, you know, there? like, yeah, like, so someone else that's doing things that you are like inspired by, but that isn't just like, oh, they're making 3 million, 4 mm-hmm. million, 5 million, you know, you've mentioned time off. So it's like, what are those actions that inspire you? So, and again, I would say it's that balance. Someone that has that balance, I think is inspiring. Have you ever read that book, Life and Air? No. Okay. So I think you've told me about this. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, instead of millionaire, it's life and air and it's about enjoying your life. And it's, it's everything that you talk about and believe in, you know, it's not all about just making a million dollars or, or what have you and saving and saving and saving. It's about enjoying now. And when you do that, and really look at sort of your time and what you want to do and do what you enjoy doing best and delegate the rest, you actually have much more time to spend on your life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that's what I find and admire in those is people that, that do that, that, you know, don't try to own and control everything. And I think that's something that, you know, some of us tend to do is we try to own and control everything, every aspect of our business or every aspect of everything. And we need to own it and, and run with it. And sometimes it's okay to just let go and let someone else whose skill sets better and rely on them to do that. So that's what I sort of admire most in people is that can do that. And, you know, again, taking trips, like we've, we've got clients who sold their house and then COVID hit, unfortunately, but they sold their house and we're pulling their kids out of school and going traveling for a year across Europe, oh. homeschooling their kids <laughs> and their kids are in their teens. And their kids were 100% on board. And I just thought, that is amazing. Like your kids are wanting to do it too and fine to leave their friends, but you're actually going to take the time out of your guys' jobs and careers and, and take them and go traveling. Like what a life experience and what a memory as a family to have. And that to me is, that's a huge goal. That would be incredible. Yeah. And you know, they sold their house, not the fanciest house. They didn't, they're not flashy people or anything. But to me, I think that they've got it. Like they've got success. Yeah. No, that's, uh, I think that's a, that's a good way to kind of wrap up and, and, and kind of ruminate in that inspiration. Cause I, I do think that we're in a new, uh, you know, the book that I always like is called the happiness equation. And oh, I think I've read that. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and the four hour work week is another favorite. Where, That's a good you know, one. Yeah. <laughs> Tim Ferriss talks about, you know, taking many retirements in life. And, uh, you know, that's the four hour work week offer author. And he, you know, it, it doesn't mean you're like some tech mogul with your laptop and you're, you know, doing your thing in coffee shops in Europe all year, but it's just giving yourself the permission. And he talks, he, he, not in the book, but he talks about in his podcast where he does an exercise where write down five things that you think are impossible. Just write them down and then look at them the next day. And like, look at, I might be butchering it a bit, but you get the essence of like, well, what if that wasn't impossible? What if it wasn't impossible to do blank? And, you know, again, just to stretch the kind of the fibers of your brain Mm -hmm. out uh, to not be so, so limiting. And, and Neil past, past Richa wrote the happiness equation talks about never retiring because you, you want to. It's, mm-hmm. you know, you're building your life and your career up to where you could work three days a week or, you know, you know, and, and from a, from a wealth planner like myself, if you actually planned on working longer, you need to save less, which means you can spend more now. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's, it's a way different shift than what both my parents uh, and most people who are say 60 to 80 years old and even 50, you know, 55, you know, that was like ingrained. It's like you need to save as much as you can and then retire. Mm-hmm. And then you will be happy. And the more you have, the more happier you'll be. Because, yeah. you know, where that isn't the case. So I, I really appreciate our chat, Shannon. Uh, you're always inspiring when we chat. And I, I value our friendship. I've known you for you know, a long time. And uh, I wish you all the best uh, for 2021. Thanks, Dustin. You are great. And, <laughs> and same. I feel the exact same way. So I look forward to us connecting again soon. All right. You're welcome, Shen. Thanks. You're mm-hmm. welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. If you found this episode valuable, share it with a friend. If you found this episode super valuable, leave us a review on iTunes. It will help us continue to bring you top quality content. For more information on anything discussed on this show, visit www.servicewealth.com. That's service spelled S-E-R-V-I-S-S. Any investment topics covered on the show are not investment recommendations, and you should seek professional advice before making any investment decisions. This show was produced by Podigy Podcasts. Thanks for listening.